All right. Hello, everyone. Just a quick note about today's episode uh, before we get into it. Obviously, it's Wednesday today and not Monday, as you might have noticed. Unfortunately, we had some pretty disruptive technical issues uh, wherein Phil's uh, audio recording went missing for a solid two days. Um, Some of you may have noticed I tried to rectify the situation on Monday by... Uh, uploading a kind of eight minute ramble of me just because I didn't want to leave the feed untouched and for everyone to wonder if we'd already failed at our weekly promise Um, and the audio on that upload was uh, well I sounded a bit like Neil Armstrong sending a a, uh, communication from the moon Um, not sure how I managed that but uh, I did so anyway we're here now Uh, we've rescued the audio it's back happy days i think this is a good episode so i'm really glad uh, we managed to save it Uh, we talk about the undertaker returning mr ivan tony himself we talk about barcelona's teenage center back pau kubasi Uh, we talk about uh, matthias sule and then at the end we play a little bit of a new game i'm calling handbook history Um, And if a game show on Scouted sounds ridiculous to you, uh, please stick around and listen to it. All right. Thanks so much. On with the show. Good morning, everyone. It's the 22nd of January 2024. And in London today, we have surprisingly blue skies as we recover from a storm that killed the Elizabeth line again. Uh, Phil Costa. Where are you and how's the weather? I'm good, mate. Um, Actually, it's warmed up a bit in Berlin today. In the last two weeks, it's just been covered in snow. um, And that's not just the nightclubs. So um, I'm glad that I can sort of be around in plus, well, plus zero temperatures for a change. Because when you get out there, it's absolutely freezing. Um, Especially as I've got a half marathon to train for. So... Um, which I stupidly agreed to after a few beers. So that will be my, my next few months, basically shame dragging myself to to the local running track and doing rounds until I can't anymore. That's a nice way to celebrate getting back from your uh, fourth holiday of the year already. Um, <laughs> where, where were you previously? Uh, the perks of having a Spanish girlfriend. Um, she's from Malaga, yes. so we go to Malaga quite a bit. Um, and her apartment happens to be on the beach. So, um, yeah, certainly not a bad place to spend a few weeks a year. Speaking of beaches, Stephen, the Australian summer. Talk to me. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, a bit rainier and colder than usual, but, uh, yeah, not too bad. Tennis is on at the moment in Melbourne, so went the other day. Was uh, yeah, it's good vibes this time of year in Melbourne when the when the tennis is on. So yeah, can't complain. Yeah, and you guys get to celebrate the sun while everyone else is absolutely miserable. Um, so I can see how that has that perks. Right, boys. Uh, last week I mentioned how we were going to try and settle into more of a uh, established kind of uh, schedule for these shows. Uh, listeners, there's still going to be a sense of um, making it up as we go along. But we'll uh, figure stuff out and see how it goes. Uh, we want to start by start by talking about a couple of kind of feature stories, um, the things that we noticed happening this weekend in the Premier League and beyond. Um, I don't want to start with Arsenal because I know that Phil, you've probably been on about four podcasts already talking about the Palace win. Um, so I want to start with the return of the Undertaker. Big Ivan Tony is back. And uh, Brentford sure did make a whole uh, song and dance out of it. Um, He swiftly scored by doing some of the funniest, uh, I don't want to call it cheating, underhand uh, skills. Gamesmanship. Shenanigans. Gamesmanship, that's a good word. Yeah. Um, How do we feel about seeing him back out there? Don't really care. (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't care <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's, it's like he's like come back from the dead or something and he's he's you know it's like oh you know, he got banned for fucking breaking breaking the rules and he's back okay and the same thing will happen Did when Fajoli the- comes back for Juve and Tonali comes back for Newcastle it's like alright great they're playing football again okay well next time just don't break the rules and I, I just don't see what the big 
song and dance is. And then also to just attack onto that, was it Sheffield that like complained to the the refereeing body about him moving the ball off the Nottingham Forest? Nottingham Forest. Forest. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Like also hilarious. Like it's just every club going to complain about every single refereeing decision at this point. Like it is just. I don't know. The, the, some of the stories that like get brought to prominence is just I just find so amusing when like there's so much good football yeah. happening in the Premier League and the the worst most useless things get focused on sometimes. Yeah, we won't talk about who set the precedent for that. Um, but but one, of, I think my favourite thing about the Tony uh, shenanigans was how he um, he kind of scooped up a bit of the foam <laughs> and moved it and put it where. He decided the ball was, um, which was great. But just also, why didn't Nottingham Forest just move the wall? Um, he only moved yeah, it, it was terrible. a few centimetres to the side. I mean, obviously, he shouldn't have done it. But also, lads, just move your wall over a bit. Um, his agent and his publicist were on fire this week. I mean, Sky Sports, Mail Online, uh, Instagram videos, branded, it, incredible. Um, but it's not just this week, class. it's been going on for months. Even when he first got banned, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. happening. I mean, he's so desperate to be out of there, isn't he, as well? he's The amount of times it's gone, you know, I'm happy at Brentford, I owe Brentford a lot, but if a big club was to come in for me in January, who knows, um, and pay the money, then of course I'd be willing to leave. And it's just like... Um, I'd almost be embarrassed. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you just got banned for a year when they needed you and like, and now you're already just pulling yourself away and selling yourself to another club. Yeah, it does bizarre. make the whole. I don't know if you guys saw the uh, when I was talking about the Undertaker. I wasn't kidding. They played the Undertaker music. Yeah, at the uh, start of the game. Yeah, to a yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, set of his highlights plus a kind of light show. Um, it does. There is like a weird kind of disconnect between. Um, I don't want to be, you know disrespectful to Brentford but like clearly this guy is a huge deal for them um one of the best players uh in their modern history um but there is this disconnect where everyone seems to understand that like this is coming to an end and he's trying to play the club for you know a big fee to go somewhere else um so yeah a little bit of an uncomfortable kind of juxtaposition but also they know um, he's important because like the basically on the brink of being relegated without him for the first half of the season. So, yeah, you can understand why they're pretty stoked to have they've him been, back. They've been unlucky with injuries. They've lost Mbomo. Um, you know, they lost Tony, obviously. I think uh, in Which midfield, they have gone. Yeah, they had a few injuries as well. So, but a few bad results in the Premier League and you can slide down that table. So, I think he's coming back at basically the perfect time. He'll have a good few months and then, and then be off in the summer, I guess. So, but... Um, yeah, they need him. It's just I found the the whole furor about him coming back quite quite funny, and um, he's just very unapologetically telling Brentford he's out of here in the summer. Is there anywhere he could go this January at all? Because no. in my mind, no one has the money, right? Yeah, no one's. No. no one's. Everyone's too scared to spend. Um, the only people that yeah. have been spending are Spurs because they sold an academy graduate for about £100 million, but, um, which obviously helped balance their books. But, you know, nobody else is signing anybody in the Premier League, which is, it's yeah. bad for the football economy, actually, because people complain about Premier League spending. But if there wasn't any Premier League spending after COVID, I think a lot of clubs would have been in trouble. So, um yeah, no. Everyone's too scared. Everyone's way think, too scared, especially now with Everton and Forest being charged uh, yeah. Everton for the second time. So it's it's been interesting. It's been interesting for sure. I think the the other thing on that as well is like team, like all these clubs are like maximizing every cent that they can basically spend in January. It's uh, in the summer, it seems, and there's just barely ever like the wiggle room to actually go out and make a splash in January anymore. Like they they've got these like books that they're nailing down that they can hit perfectly like every season and just like just get in there. So you could imagine Arsenal they've gone out and made a splash and you know spent all this money on Declan Rice uh, and Timber and they got nothing left. Spurs spent a buckle load of money. They've got a little bit left, but you know they had to sell 
100 million pound player to really like still have uh, gunpowder left to to fire. Liverpool they spent a crap load of money in 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 June uh, in the summer. They're not they've not, they're not signing anyone. So it's like who is there to actually that can spend 100 million that has any wiggle room left? I don't think there's anyone. Chelsea don't have any money. Maybe City, but they don't need a striker. So it's he's kind of in a bad spot at the moment. But he has six months, I guess, to hope that someone's desperate enough to go and spend that that nine figure sum that I'm assuming Brentford are going to be pretty keen on getting. No way. There's no chance they get they get that much. Um, I think hey, it'll we be saw like 60, 70. Um, Stranger well, things have yeah, happened. He's... Stranger things have happened. When you see a, a holding midfielder going for 110 million pounds and, a, you know, a upper level Premier League striker going for 100 mil would not be the weirdest thing that I've ever seen. But I think he's only got a year left on his deal, no? I got no um, idea, but... Yeah, it's, he's got one year left on his deal come the summer. And, you know, the age profile isn't terrible, but not amazing at 27. He's going to be 28 in March. So I think Declan Rice was slightly different in terms of his overall prospects, although I agree that was a big... I mean, we were speaking about balancing the books. 105 million is basically what you're allowed to spend um, or in terms of what you're allowed to have in profit So, um, or in the, in the red. So... No wonder nobody's got any money. Nobody's got any money and nobody's got any players because they're all injured, Um, which I guess usually people would turn to the January transfer window to kind of take the ease off that. But uh, nobody has any players to sell because they're all injured as well. Um, And one team that's dealing with that in a kind of way that we enjoy watching, I guess, is Liverpool, who were very impressive in a uh, 4-0 victory over everyone's darling Andre Iriola's Bournemouth last night. Um, they did it with Connor Bradley. I believe his Premier League debut handed at right back, 20-year-old. Um, they also did it with 20-year-old Harvey Elliott in midfield and Curtis Jones as well. So a ton of uh, homegrown players out in the field at once. Um, I just want to talk about really kind of, you know, you look at Liverpool's decimated injury slash uh, AFCON list. Um, And they seem to be turning to youth in a way that other teams are a little bit more um, reticent to do. Granted, these players are older than the kind of 17, 18 year olds. You often see people complaining that aren't uh, getting their chance. But uh, I just wanted to talk a bit about Bradley and uh, the other boys they had on the pitch. Yeah, I, it's, well, it's, it's it's what you want. It's what you want. Like your academy should supplement your first team. Your academy doesn't necessarily have to churn out 100 mil players like every year. If you can churn out a good squad player that will happily take like a mediocre Premier League wage, be able to fill in in a position or two and not let the level drop massively, then like that's the whole point. Um. You know, Liverpool had Bobby it Clark. It doesn't seem like rocket science, does it? No, but like Liverpool had Bobby Clark come on. They had Owen Beck come on after they recalled him from a loan at Dundee United. Um, obviously, Bradley started. Harvey Elliott started. Curtis Jones started. That's like five guys that have like touched your academy. Harvey Elliott's a bit different because he came a little bit later. But five guys that have touched your academy and they're coming in and, and playing first-team roles in a game where you win 3-0 and away from home and do it pretty comfortably. Like, that is just perfect. Um, as long yeah, as the... They've got uh, as well, who's going to come back from injury. Yeah, as long as, like, you are able to provide a decent balance where you're, like, you, you need to be able to know when you need to loan someone out and when they can bounce between academy and senior football. And I think Liverpool tend to do it pretty well. Um, they've also had Kwanzaa that's come in and, and played really, really well in... Uh, quite, he's played quite a lot more minutes than I thought he was going to play at the start of the season. I thought, oh, yeah, he's going to get loaned. And when he stayed, I was a bit surprised, but he's been really good. So you can be top of the table, be supplementing your senior squad with what? Seven guys, six, seven, eight guys that have been in your academy that have made played first team minutes. Like that's pretty impressive. Yeah, Phil, I mean, anything it's- to add? Yeah, yeah. I, I just think what I really admire and like about Jurgen Klopp is that 
when he does bring in these young players, I never feel like he's throwing them into the deep end. I think he always finds positions where they are comfortable. I think he creates a balance within the team that allows them to succeed. He's not asking right backs to come in and invert, for example, having played 10 minutes of senior football before. He's very kind of supportive uh, tactically in what they need to come in and do. And that gives players the best possible chances to to shine and succeed. So, and ultimately they, they are such an attacking force um, that they, they will always win games. They always have attacking talent to win your games. I mean, Jota's come in in the absence of Salah, having somebody on like uh, that who can able um, who's able to produce goals and assists like like Jota um, on the bench is is incredible. There was no Trent in this game, so on a wider scale, as as amazing as it was to have these these young guys come in and play well mm-hmm. for Liverpool on the whole to show that they can still be a force not just a force, but away from home against informed teams without two star players. It's it's quite ominous for the rest of the league, to be honest. And I just really admire the way Jurgen Klopp can set up his team to to kind of get the best out of everybody. And yeah. without massively dominating the game as well, from what I understand. Sorry, go well, on. Well, the, the second half, they, they took control. I think it was a big... Once they scored. Big, once they yeah. scored. Um, um, some of the goals were all kind of slightly fortuitous in their own way, but the second half is like the first 30 minutes of the second half, they they were pretty dominant. But yeah, I think it was a big a big game for, for Darwizi and for Diogo Jota and they kind of just did what they had to do because, you know, you could when you don't have Trent to rely on, you don't have Salah to rely on and like the magic that they can can deliver to then have Darwin and, uh, and Jota come in and the second half, they were really, really good. Uh, Darwin just, when he scored the first goal, it was really Often he just messes things up because he's always going at a million miles per hour and you just think if you in certain moments can just like slow everything down and just get in the zone and focus a bit, like he could be so, so much better than he is. Um, And that first goal, the finisher was like everything kind of just calmed down and he took his time and placed it perfectly. And then the second goal, he kind of got involved with the classic Darwin moment of just like basically running into someone, the ball ricocheted off him and it kind of all fell and 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 Jota scored. Um, but yeah, when you've got your your two kind of attacking forces out to have those two come in and, and step up and uh, have such an impact against, as you said, a, a very informed team away from home, um, I think Liverpool will be very pleased with that win. Darwizi's 100th career goal, I believe. Um, whenever we talk about how uh, Jurgen Klopp integrates his youth team, there are, often seems to be the other side of the coin, and that's uh, Mikel Arteta. So uh, we've finally come on to Arsenal. Um, no youth involved at Palace, uh, and the circumstances didn't really allow for any, any of that kind of switching up. Arsenal badly needed to win this game. Um, the narrative was really starting to slide against them. Um, Phil, what did you make of this? Because for me, I, I felt like the performance was pretty on par with everything that we've seen, even during this really rough kind of Christmas period. It was just uh, the moments went in Arsenal's favour this time around. Yeah, I, I, first of all, I think the youth argument is interesting with Arteta because... He was the one that brought through Saka. He was the one that brought through Emil Smith-Rowe. He's been playing Saliba for basically 18 months now uh, as a consistent figure in our starting eleven. He's been credited with a lot of the improvement for Gabriel Martinelli. So maybe not this current crop. And I'm thinking of Raul Walters, Waneri, Miles Lewis-Skelly, but also they're 17 years old, some of these guys. Yeah. So... Um, I think some of that narrative has been overblown slightly, but in terms of this game, I completely agree. I don't think it was anything too wildly different from the Arsenal that we've seen this season. It was a professional performance, quite a composed one that we probably needed after three defeats in a row. Um, Obviously one was in the FA Cup, but when they stack up like that, it's never a good thing. Um, There's no doubt in my mind that the little... Uh, warm weather training, you know, the, the break away from London, getting a fresh um, perspective on things just to, you know, mentally and physically refresh w- would be hugely useful for the team. 
um, and they came back, they looked sharp and, and, and we won the game. It's worth saying that Palace were terrible. Um, this is a Palace without Michael Elise and Jordan Ayew, who are probably two two of their most important attacking players beyond Eberechieze. Um, but yeah, uh, I, th- I think this was a professional performance from Arsenal. They did have their moments. I'm not overly surprised that a couple of goals came from set pieces. Um, I think they're probably the strongest team in the division at set pieces at the moment. And when you've got someone like Gabriel who can dominate and attack people um, and attack the ball like he does, it's no surprise. So um, yeah, just needed a win, had to stop the rot. Um, there was a nice cameo for Martinelli off the bench with two goals. Another nice cameo for Smith Rowe off the bench. So overall, just what the doctor ordered and and kind of three important points that we needed. Just to, I don't think I've I want to jump in. I want, a, I want to jump in, Tom, because just to yeah. latch onto the Nuaneri, Lewis Scali kind of discussion, like you don't have to play them. Like Arsenal are a very good team. You do not have to play them if you like need to, and they and you feel like they can come in and play a role. That's one thing, but you don't have to play them. This like uh, having watched them at under seventeen level in the World Cup, like. These guys aren't going to come in and like be good Premier League players. Like they're still going to be below that, like the level of the players that Arsenal have playing week in week out. So there's no rush. Like because uh, people see like maybe like a Kubasi or a um, a Yamal playing for Barcelona. And, oh, why can't our players do that? Kubasi and Yamal are like very like, good senior level players already. They are like special players. I'm not sure that Nuaneri and Luis Scali are like quite that level yet like they're going to be very very good but they're not quite that level yet so i like always have to like pump the brakes on like there's no rush necessarily maybe like you leave them for a year at academy level and then next year like you look for like the right loan or something if you think they're ready for a lot of senior football you you mainly want these players like supplement your senior team like when you need them but you don't need to force them in willy-nilly yeah, I think there's well, there's two things that feed into why this is such a major narrative, right? One is that Arsenal fans need to complain about something at all times, um, even when there is very little to complain about. And secondly, it's just it's a club that is, I guess, renowned or has been historically renowned for playing teenagers very, very young. I mean, Cesc Fabregas was what fifteen, uh, Jack Wilshere obviously. Um, it's just kind of part of the club's uh, heritage, isn't it? And so people see these guys that are super exciting and they see Nuaneri doing David Silva things in, in highlight clips and, you know, they want the shiny new toy. Um, but they are, their age is like, I do find that a bit like people, you can talk about Liverpool that are playing these guys that are three, four years ahead of them in their development. Um, and you saw how kind of, careful Arteta was with uh, Saliba like you mentioned Um, and he wants to ensure that Arsenal continue to compete at a very high level and that level necessitates a a certain amount of senior experience Um, and whether they get that here at Arsenal or elsewhere um, remains to be seen go on Steve also the the margins in this Premier League is like way different to what it was 10 years ago Mm. when Wilshere and Fabregas were making Debuts as you know, sixteen-year-olds or whatever. Like, yeah, you know, the, Premier League's, meant by the, the Premier League's been the best league for probably at least a decade, but like the margins now at the top are like so so slim. Even between like you know a West Ham and a Villa and a I don't know, pick any other mid-table team, like that standard is so so high across the board that like you just fall off that little bit and you can see what can happen very quickly. So you know, there's always that risk and reward that you have to balance up, and I think. Like at 16, 17, like you'd want to be pretty confident that that player is is senior ready before you're throwing them in the deep end. Yeah, and especially a team like Arsenal, I just think they're coached to a T, you know, and there's clearly under some very specific instructions that, um, and one cog kind of falls out of that machine or it's not quite up to par and the whole pressing system breaks down and then you're in trouble. Um, and that's, that's actually not a responsibility you want to put on a teenager. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good point that you raise. And that's kind of the, maybe the difference between Klopp and Arteta yes. a little bit in that um, what Phil was saying before, like Connor Bradley came in, he kind of played a more orthodox 
right back role. You know, it wasn't he can't do the things that Trent does. So he didn't play Trent's role. He played a role that was carved out for him to suit his game. Whereas I think Arteta is more wedded to like a full team-based system and everything has to work. Every player has to work in a specific way um, for it to function. If you've got a player that you can't plug and play into that hole, then it kind of breaks down a little bit. So um, well, we saw that with, with Jakub Kivior a few weeks ago in the defeat at Fulham. Zinchenko was injured and then he played Kivior at left back and asked him to invert. And this is a guy that's already playing out of position at left back. And you're asking him to come in and kind of be the 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 responsibility in midfield, which saw him hooked at half time. You know, I, I just think there needs to be a little bit more consideration from Arteta when bringing through these young players to give them the best possible chance to succeed. Well, I think that's kind of not playing them straight into this maelstrom of uh, tactical overload is probably the the consideration, I guess. Um, speaking of well-oiled, slick machines, uh, Stephen, what did Juventus do this weekend? <laughs> ah, it's good. It's good. I, I actually, I was talking to, to Lou last night and he, and he uh, let me see what he messaged me exactly. He said... Juventus are winning the Scudetto and that was after we scored, scored our third goal and I said to him, geez, we actually might. Um, like that, the feeling of inevitability of that, that long run of titles, it kind of feels like it's back and like the football is still not vintage but all of a sudden, uh, Kanan Yildiz has come in and the attack is just like, like the, the first three, four months of the season, this team could not score more than one, maybe a couple of times they scored two goals in a game. The last five games, they've scored 18 times since like Yildiz has really come in and, and played a, a key role in the attack. He wasn't so good yesterday, but um, something has just like kind of clicked and this team just feels like it's going to come into every game and it's just going to get their two, three goals, get their clean sheet and move on to the next one. So, Serie A is really interesting right now with uh, Juventus and Inter at the top. Uh, they play each other in, in two weeks' time. It's going to be a massive, massive game. Um so much on the line because they're just neither team is really dropping any points. Um, you know, they're both kind of on track for somewhere around that 95 point mark at the moment. So a chance to to get three points in that game will be will go a long way, I think, in in determining who's gonna gonna win the title. But yeah, in terms of Juventus, Vlaovic is is everything he's touching is uh, going in the back of the net, which is uh, a nice change from the start of the season that he was really struggling. Um, but you know, most people would have seen his three kicks from forty yeah, yards. Most people would have seen the two goals he scored last week, which which were really really good outside the box smackers. Whereas this week was a bit different. He got a absolute hack miss kick that bounced and and went into the top corner, and then he scored a goal that was already crossing the line from a, a McKenny header that he touched with his pinky toe about two centimeters off the line. So. But a number's a number, and I think he's up to 11 this season, most of that coming in like the last few weeks. So I think if he can keep up that run of form, then I know it's going to be hard for any team to, to beat this Juventus team because no one can score against them. Um, it's not vintage. They don't quite have the talent across the the park as of yesteryear, but you know everything seems to kind of be coming into into line and then all these young players that are coming into the into the lineup are performing really really well Ealing Jr. starting to get more minutes and, and improving week on week Yildiz as we, as we touched on is just going to be a superstar Miretti's been a bit up and down but when he's on he's a really important way uh, part of the way the attack can function effectively um, there's just so many like the guys on loan we could talk about Matthias Sule scored another free kick uh, for Frosinone on the weekend to get them a, a really big three points against Cagliari in the in the uh, you know push to avoid relegation. There's a, a lot going on. Dean Hoysen at Roma started again, had a really good performance for them. So yeah, after three years of absolute pain and suffering, it's like the first time where I can be like, okay, things might be all falling into place again. So it's good stuff. Hey everyone, it's me again. Sorry for the interruption. Uh, I just need a minute of your time to talk about some very important stuff. Last week, both Sports Illustrated and Pitchfork were axed by their corporate overlords. Two titans of journalism and cultural criticism wiped off the face of the earth just like that. 
Media is changing and it's a fight for all of us just to stay afloat. To be honest, the only thing that gets me out of bed in the morning and continuing to do this job is the hope that we can build a new future out of this mess. A future with the people who really enjoy great writing, criticism and analysis. And a future built on outlets that trust their readers and treat them as people and not machines for generating clicks. That's why Scouted is an entirely independent, worker-owned and reader-funded outlet. We've been ticking along since 2014, supported entirely by you guys, our readers, listeners and viewers, and those who bought the handbooks in print. We don't have a Patreon. Instead, I'm going to point you towards our newsletter called Scouted Notebook. Notebook drops an original story, piece of writing or analysis into your inbox almost every day. Stories like Mind Games, an original essay from Billy Carpenter on the psychology of scouting, or Modern Renaissance, the behind-the-scenes tale of how a tiny Belgian community club became a Europa League force. And of course you'll get Scouted 50, which is our list of the best young players to watch this year. We're profiling every player on Scouted 50 in detail this year, with recent highlights including Lou's deep dive on Lucas Bergvall, who's drawing eyes from Barcelona, and Phil's take on Gabriel Moscado, the midfield powerhouse currently in limbo between Brazil and Paris Saint-Germain. I have to stress that writing like this is only possible because people who care about it sign up and pay for it. We use that money directly to commission writers like Billy, or to send Joe to Belgium, where he got to do original reporting in person at the club. If you want to try before you buy, go read Scout Notes. It drops every Tuesday, and it's a completely free newsletter, rounding up all of the scouting that we do each week. But if you like that, and you do decide you want to sign up and support what we do, head to scoutednotebook.com forward slash podcast offer for 10% off an entire year. It's literally just the price of a coffee in London anyway, and uh, you're helping us build a better future for independent football writing, free of corporate interests. You'll get everything we write, every Scouted 50 profile, every story and every piece of analysis, as well as every handbook we've ever written in digital form to download and keep. That's scoutednotebook.com forward slash podcast offer, or there's a link in the show notes if you prefer. Working in journalism these days is scary, but I'm so grateful to every single person who puts money on the line to champion what we do and keep us alive. From all the team here, thank you so much. We love you all. All right, back to the show. So we were going to do kind of a second section where we talk more specifically about a couple of players that we have our eyes on. around the continent um so let's start with Matthias Sula then uh scored another free kick you said um on loan from Juve where does he fit in kind of the future of the club and how's the year going for him um well to put this in perspective is like Frosinone uh in my opinion without him a genuine like 13 points for the season kind of team. I think that's the level of impact uh, he is having. I think at the moment they might be on 24 points, if I can remember off the top of my head. Um, He scored, I think, is it nine goals now from the right wing? He is like the centerpiece of everything. Um, Creator, scorer, transition runner. His left foot is just getting better and better. Um, so the ball striking is like something that in a kind of not quite Dybala level, but like approaching it and it always keeps him in the game that like you can't give him any space outside the box whatsoever. You always have to be tied to him. Um, so yeah, the impact is just, is just huge. He's, he's taking a team that like there are so many young players as well. They've got like Arion Ibrahimovic from Bayern that's like 17, 18 years old playing regularly. Baron Achea also on loan from Juventus, young player, Kyle Giorgi. They, they got the whole half the team is like 20, 21, 22 or younger. Um so yeah, what they're doing in a in a tough league is is just super, super impressive. And he's the he's the key guy. In, oh, and then to far is to jump on in terms of the the future at Juventus, that's a bit more of a wait and see because he doesn't really fit into the three five two that Allegri's been playing since he he came back. Um, but at the same time, like the level of player coming through in terms of attacking talent that Juventus have kind of like 
almost like tells you that you need to incorporate more of it and switch to a four two three one sort of formation. You'd have Yildiz in behind, Soleil on the right, Kier's on the left, um, Flavich up front. Like this, but with the three five two, you've got Kier's playing up there, who like is not a striker. You've got if you try to play Soleil up there, he's not a striker. Yildiz works a little bit better playing through the middle off a, off a striker, but he likes to come towards the left a bit as well. So it's a tough one. Um, I can't, I would be surprised if they, there's been so many rumors about them selling him since the summer, but I just, I can't see it unless it was like a ridiculous offer. But with the way he's performing, you'd want it to be like 50 mil plus with the the kind of fees that you see a lot of young players going for. Um, but yeah, it's just a wait and see now. Uh, six more months at Frosinone to, to really cement what he's done in the first half of the season and prove that he can do it over a, a longer period of time and then uh, come back and, and play a role in the in the with the big boys next season. Sticking with the Italian slash loan system connection, um, Cesare Cassidy was recalled by Chelsea. Uh, I know, Steve, that you mentioned you haven't watched much, much of his loan at Leicester so far, if I'm not mistaken, but he was a player that you spoke a lot about um, over the summer in particular um, because of his performances with Italy. What does this guy need, do you think, at this stage of his career? Um, because he's quite like, from what I understand, he's quite a unique kind of midfield profile. Um, they need to so send yeah, what, him... What do you think is best for him? Yeah, they need to send him to a bad championship team. They need to send him to a team that like needs him. Um, and that, like that's what he got last last year. He, he spent six months at Reading and all the Reading fans like loved him. They're like, he was so good because he's like... If you can get him to a team where he's like the guy that everything centers around, like, and and allows him like the freedom to play that like box attacking, you know, penalty box crushing uh, role where he can you know get the best out of himself as a goal scorer, um, I think that's where you could possibly see a really good return. But as always, like he went to Leicester, their team is stacked, um, and he's playing bench minutes every week. Like that's just not how you're going to maximize the time that he spends on loan. You know, it's all, all good and well that he's playing in a good team. Um, and if he was starting regularly, it'd be perfect. But I think if you can get him to a team that would rely on him as a goal scorer and just let him cook, I think that could be the that could be the, the, the best option. And then in terms of like the future, when you move on from that, even if he does well in that kind of situation, you do start to think like what – role does he play in like a good senior level team and that's kind of where I scratch my head at the moment because yeah I think a lot of dynamics need to revolve around him for him to really pop off I think I think the recall was largely down to a lot of injuries as well because Romeo Lavia has been injured again Leslie Ugochukwu is injured again so Chelsea did feel a little bit light in midfield and there were some whispers over Conor Gallagher potentially leaving the club as well. So I think it was more of a security blanket for them and I'd be quite surprised if they um, if they send him out on loan again. I think somebody like Andre Santos is much more, uh, much more likely to go out on loan than him. So um, it'll be interesting though. Like you said, Leicester are a very good team at the moment I think they're even bringing in Stefano Sensi on a permanent deal which just feels mental um, I know he's had a really difficult time with injuries but that's a huge signing for them so with somebody like that coming in he was never going to get minutes so um, maybe just bring him back evaluate where his game's at and, and see what happens moving forward there's just no value right, to him so playing under 20 oh, go on, I'm going to jump on. in again there's just no value to him playing like a, yep. a crap load of under 23 minutes at this point so, like, if he comes back to Chelsea and plays, like, a couple of sub-appearances or something for the senior team and then gets stuck in under 23, it's, like, just a waste of six months. Especially when this is a guy, it's not an academy player, this is a guy they spent 20 million euros on or thereabouts. And, like, you're going to get to a point where, like, it's going to be three, like, you know, he'll or he's already 18 months into his contract. Soon it'll be two years, then it'll be three years, and then will be like, geez, we just spent like 20 million euros on this guy and he hasn't developed at all and we are not going to get anything for him. And if you start to multiply that out into the number of players 
number of young players that Chelsea has spent a, a lot of money on, that's where the financial difficulties start to start to arise. It's all good and well when you sign these young players, they play, now they're worth $100 million and you know, like you sell one and everything's dandy. But if you're signing heaps and none of them are developing at any sort of rate, that's when you start to handicap your senior team um, and that's what you don't really want. It's an interesting thing uh, hosting a podcast with Stephen because he both shouts at you if you take too long to move things along and jumps in at every opportune moment to spiel. Um, so very quickly, and just to finish off this little segment, um, we should talk about Paul Kubasi at Barcelona. I uh, hope I'm pronouncing that correctly or I'm going to be corrected very quickly. Um, seven, well, actually 16... Phil, you said he's turned 17 literally today. Mm-hmm. So it's a 16-year-old starting and he's a centre-back, right? Yep. So that seems pretty extraordinary. Like that's very young in a position that usually needs to be quite physically developed. Um, why, how, who is he, what's going on? I mean, the the game was quite incredible yesterday, the, the Barcelona-Betis game, because... As things stand, Xavi is under a lot of pressure at Barcelona. Um, and I'm not sure I, it's gone under the radar, but it's certainly a, a thing. Um, they're already <clears throat> way off the pace in, in La Liga. You know, they've had a couple of mixed performances in, in Copa del Rey and Champions League and stuff like that. So um, so what better way when you're under pressure <laughs> to, to turn things around than to start two 16-year-olds? It wasn't just Kubasi, it was... Um, Lamine Yamal as well, who who just continues to be um, a phenomenon, really, for, for Barcelona. He is so consistent. He's been a real injection of, of quality and speed. And I don't think anybody in their wildest dreams could have predicted um, him coming in and playing like this. So, yeah, the game itself was a really... Um, high energy, good tempo game. It ended up ending, you know, with 4-2 to Barcelona, although there were two incredibly late goals, one from Joao Felix in the 90th minute and another from from Ferran Torres in injury time to make it 4-2. Um, but yeah, um, quite amazing really to start a game like this away at Betis as well, not at home, away at Betis with two 16-year-olds. In terms of the player himself, I think Steve will, will be able to offer a bit more insight but um i think it's a testament to xavi and and to barcelona that they can keep churning out these guys and and are also willing to trust them in in the kind of in the deep end of of football matches steve you just adjust your mic like it was a lethal weapon so uh yeah go. well like he talked about you know center backs requ- requiring the, the you know physical development to to be able to step into the role but like he has that. He kind of has. He's a unicorn centre back, and like we've been talking about it since like under seventeen Euros when we watched him last year. Me and Lou into the under seventeen World Cup this year. Like the guy is just so like was so dominant at that level, um, and both sides of the ball defensively, and then like his ability to play is ridiculous. And then I was talking to Lou. I was like, the level of like young teenage centre backs that we're getting now that are coming in. We saw it with Scalvini at Atalanta. We're starting to see it with Hoysen uh, at Juventus or online at Roma. Kubasi, like these guys are like insane. Um, the confidence, the passing ability, the carrying ability, um, and like the and just the most important thing, as you touched on, is the ability to not look off the pace physically and 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 keep up in jewels and everything they need to do. Obviously, it helps in those kind of teams that are a bit more ball dominant and they're under less pressure defensively against bigger opponents. But it is, yeah, amazing the kind of top, top level centre-back talent that we're starting to see come into the game earlier and earlier and earlier. Um, but yeah, he he's a phenomenon. He's going to be, he's going to change a lot of lives over the next 20 years that he'll probably be a, a top level senior professional. Buy your Cubasi stocks now, folks. Uh, that's the verdict. All right, boys, let's um, move on and, and talk a little bit about what we've got coming up on Notebook this week. Uh, hopefully, I will remember this week to insert a little ad read, uh, pushing people over there. Hopefully, you've heard that already. And if not, uh, look forward to it. Um, 
I, I want to start actually by talking about what we did last week because Philip, you and I uh, published a something we've been working on for a little while, a interview with one of our favorite scattered 50 midfielders, Adam Morton. Um, we went up pre-Christmas to chat to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you don't need to tell me, but like, <laughs> what was the experience like? Um, how was he in person? Anything we wanted to touch on that we didn't kind of cover in the piece? I mean, people should go and read it if they haven't. Please go and read it because uh, we put a lot of work, work into it. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the day, I have to say. It was an early start. It was a long day. We kind of fought off storm conditions and cancelled trains and, you know, uh, anything that could have gone wrong nearly did go wrong. But in terms of the interview itself and how we were welcomed at Omni Sports was just really nice. Um, and I was quite surprised that we were left alone with Adam because usually you're in there with, you know, agents or representatives who are kind of keen to butt in and and direct you in a certain place when you're when you're interviewing players but they were quite happy to leave us in there with him and I I felt he was a lot more comfortable in the interview I I was a little bit nervous because when we were sitting down having lunch he was not not reserved but just a bit quiet you know um, kind of chose his words carefully wasn't overly boisterous or um, extroverted and I, I found um yeah (laughs) (laughs) for anyone listening steven's just he's changed his camera from a high def kind of face cam into that is an incredible angle um when he ran when he ran out of battery (laughs) (laughs) in the loose fitting vest as well um yeah so that just that just uh distracted me for a moment (laughs) (laughs) that's fine i can pick it up i can pick it up we um when you were talking about stuff that went wrong earlier i just remembered the whole taxi debacle (laughs) (laughs) at me (laughs) we're not laughing at you we're we're recollecting um yeah we got out of this tax we got taxis from the the station to the agency and the guy i don't know what it was his car either his car machine wouldn't work or he didn't have any signal so we just drove around for another 10 minutes we're getting later and later for this interview and he's rolling around manchester trying to find phone signals so we can pay the guy he was driving <laughs> around with stuff. one hand on the wheel and one hand out of the window to try and get phone signal um yeah but yeah we, the interview get him in trouble no the interview was was really good i thought the we got what we need uh got what we needed out of him it's it's always difficult because i think players have a natural level of sort of or feeling guarded or maybe defensive over their words especially now that Blackburn aren't doing amazingly well they've had a really difficult six-week period in which they've they've dropped into the relegation battle now having been more or less mid-table when we interviewed him so maybe we've inadvertently jinxed Blackburn but on the plus side Adam Walton has scored a few goals um, since that interview so Um, which he spoke about wanting to do more. Um, So see it how you want. But um, we were really happy with the piece and and hopefully we can can get some more interviews on on the notebook moving forward. Yes, please go and uh, check that story out if you haven't already. Um, Coming this week then, uh, we've got a collaboration with J-League coming up. Um, They are launching, or I think they've launched historically a next-gen J-League project program where they highlight all of the youth coming through um and so lou's been watching a ton of j-league games courtesy of them and he's got a list of players to watch coming out that he's very excited about and they actually put him on someone new that he's um i won't spoil it but uh there's one player in there that he's particularly excited about that uh he discovered in the writing of this piece well he's been he's been tweeting about them non-stop so if anyone wants to look at that's true actually he spoiled it he spoiled it himself. Yeah. Um, Tuesday, we'll have a free-to-read scout notes, as usual. Wednesday, Stephen, you've been uh, working on something for um, our partnership with Skill Corner. Can you talk a little bit about that without giving anything away? I can give everything away. Um, well, well, no, I want people to read it, mate. In this uh, 
well, in this podcast, even we've talked about kind of that jump between uh, youth football and senior football quite a lot. And it was something I was thinking about is like, how can we quantify what the differences are between uh, youth football and senior football? So I asked our lovely friends at Skill Corner if they've got access to some data on the Senior World Cup, Under-20 World Cup and Under-17 World Cup from uh, from last year. And so, yeah, the, the piece will be running a lot of comparisons between, uh, you know, st- statistical trends of the, of the diff- three different levels, looking at a range of things, you know, how fast players are running at different levels, how much sprinting are they doing at different levels how do they deal with pressure at different levels there's a yeah a whole host of of metrics that i'm i'm looking at um and a lot of it is some of it like tells you things that you already know which is okay senior senior level players are going to be faster than junior level players that's not going to be a shock to everyone um but i think this is a a good way of, of quantifying exactly what the the leaps are um Especially telling you, you know, under 17 to senior level is going to be massively different. But how different is under 20 level to to senior level? If a player is performing really well at under 20 level, like what is it that you're looking for that means like he might be ready? Um, So, yeah, found a lot of interesting things. Some things that tell you that there's a massive gap between all the levels. Some things that tell you that the gap is smaller than you think. Um, So, yeah, it's going to be a a big two-parter. A lot of words written down mostly ready to go and uh yeah it'll be with you over the the next week and then part two i think next week and on friday we're hoping you have a profile as well yes is that nestoria irankunda that is nestoria irankunda the uh australian sensation out of adelaide united Your beautiful compatriot um yeah well he's kind of the the uh pinup boy of the a-league at the moment uh, obviously, he's sealed a, a move to Bayern Munich a few months ago, which is for Australian football standards. He's just like the biggest deal for a long time. Um, there's not really been an Australian player playing at that like pinnacle, pinnacle of of European football for for quite a while. So, um, a lot of excitement around him. The way he plays is like just crazy. Like he's so fast. Um, He's ball striking. He's like out of this world. So, yeah, looking forward to, to taking a, a closer look at what he really does at an elite level um, and then, you know, how far he might be from actually establishing himself at a, at a top European level rather than just at a top A-league level. Beautiful. Look forward to that. All right, boys, we're going to – we are running long, but I'm going to do this because um, I want to and I put work into it. So if you would all just close your eyes for a moment and imagine a game show jingle playing, okay? Whatever that sounds like to you. Um, I would have got one made, but I'm cheap and I haven't, but I will. This is a game I like to call Handbook History. And here's how it's going to work. I'm putting your knowledge of our historical work to the test. I'm going to read out a series of clues in three different rounds, okay? And they get obviously more more obscure to less obscure the further we go on. And I'm going to need you to tell me which player from the handbook history I'm talking about. And obviously for anyone who doesn't know, we used to profile 100 players a year in print um, in the Scouted Football Handbook. So... And we've been doing that for, what, seven, eight years since 2016. So there is quite a glutton of uh, players to choose from, from all parts of football history. And I was shocked at the ages of some of the guys from uh, when we started doing this. All right. Um, The other rules are round one, you can have one guess. And if you get it wrong, it passes to the other guy. Okay. And then each round you can have one guess. Mm-hmm. And you have to do a little buzzer noise when you want to come in with your mouths. No, I'm kidding. Just say the thing. Right. Player one. Clue one. He was profiled 
And we'll start easy. He was profiled in the Scouted Football Handbook, Volume 12. That is the 2021 Emile Smith-Rowe cover. You're not going to get it from that, obviously. So clue two. Two of his previous teammates scored 10 or more Premier League goals last season. And clue three. He's been at the same club since 2011 and is still there. Any guesses, please? Uh, Would you like me to repeat any clues? <laughs> guesses. Oh, man. That's tough. Uh, Emil Smith-Rowe? Incorrect. That would be way too easy. Come on. <laughs> it started easy, but not that easy. Um... So two of his teammates have scored 10 plus goals in the Premier League. Last season, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I think I know who it is. But I can't guess now. I've I've drawn a blank. Um, I'm going to go for... I can't remember who was in the last last handbook, to be honest. Um, I know, that's, that's the point. I'm I'm stuck. Do you go to round two? Let's yeah. go. Okay, round two. His previous coach is currently leading a top European league. Uh. Clue two. You can guess at any time, Stephen, if you have it. Clue two. He has four caps for the Spanish national team. Clue three. His profile oh, Ro- was written by Robert Jamie Sanchez. Kent. Incorrect. Ah. <laughs> oh, man. Do you want any clues repeated? Because you will get it. If we go to round three, Phil will get it. I honestly, for the Spanish. I'm always bad at these things. I enjoyed that I just dropped this game on you completely cold because next week you can get back in the handbooks and do your research but yeah. this week it's off the dome Man, no 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 I, I'm trying to think um, of of, of Span- young Spanish players um, it was young two years ago he's I mean, still young but I mean that's still enough um, who's who's kind of fallen off a bit that's what I'm thinking but, Is someone but he's who, been at the same was... club since he's been at the same club since 2011 you said yes and, and they're still there. in the Premier League. No, his previous teammates have scored 10 or more oh, goals in the okay. Premier League last okay, season. Okay. Oh, that's... I'm, I'm going to say it's someone from like... Oh, I know Ralph who it is. I know who it is. I know who it is, I think. Can I just do another guess? I'm, I'm going to go <laughs> someone from Ralph Sociedad. <laughs> I don't know, like... He's probably not even in this most recent edition, but I'm going to go for like Baronet Chair. Incorrect. Oh. Can I do another guess, please? <laughs> please. It can count as my round three guess and then Phil can walk it if uh, I get it wrong. All right. All, All right. right. Is it Jeremy right, Pino? On, no. Damn it. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> All right. This is this is gonna you're gonna have to fight over each other to shout it who could say the loudest because you will get it from this right round three, clue one, is a number eight or six. Oh, Zubi Mendy. Yeah, correct. Well done. Oh. There we go. So obviously the two of his previous teammates that scored ten Premier League goals or more last season were Alexander Isak and Martin Odegaard. Good clues. Uh, Good clues, man. Yeah, very strong. Very strong. Thank you, mate. I I did put some work into this. Uh, Obviously, he's been at Real Sociedad since 2011. It's still there currently. Did we only Uh, do his previous coach? Row cover? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's literally very recently. Um, His previous coach is currently leading a top European league. Uh, Xabi Alonso worked with him. Yeah, that's why I figured uh, it was Real Sociedad. Real Sociedad's second team. Yeah. Um, and the last clue was he's currently linked with Arsenal. So I thought you would get uh, that very quickly. On Chubby Alonso. All right. Let's all watch by Leverkusen last week, uh, next week so we can talk about them because uh, they're killing it at the moment. Okay. Well, Bayern Munich did them a massive favour this weekend by losing at home to Werder Bremen. So 
Um, and they won in the last minute against RB Leipzig. So, um, boys, yeah. I have another player prepared. All right, let's do it. Um, I think we're we're getting into this now. We're, we're getting the ball yeah, rolling. The juices right. are flowing now. We know the juices how it works. are flowing. Yeah. All right. So I went with a very recent profile for the first uh, player because I wanted to do something that might be fresh in your minds. Mm-hmm. I've gone completely the opposite way with player number two. So round one, clue one. He was written in the first ever handbook we made, oh, a free ebook, a hundred players back in 2016. You would not believe. You go back and visit this thing. You would not believe some of the names of this in this book. Uh, and just to put that into perspective, this player is almost 30 years old now. I believe he's turning 30 this year. Um, so we have been doing this a very long time. Clue number two: uh, Lou wrote this profile. I thought Lou would be here. Uh, he's not here, so that clue is kind of useless. Um, clue number three, he's since been in the PFA Team of the Year twice and FIFA Men's World Eleven once, which I think is a massive yep. scouted seal of approval. Uh, Look how good we are, boys. I, uh, it's Paul Pogba. It's not Paul Pogba. <laughs> God, I really want a buzzer that goes... Err. The confidence of that. Um... All right, let's have, let's have a think here. Who's someone that Lou would write about? Um, I think that might be a bit of a red herring, to be honest. Really? Okay, it's not so, a, a Swedish this is like teenager. Old, this is not the man. That yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, PFA. Is it <sighs> Bernardo Silva? No, I would have written. I don't think he round two. Because I was not, obsessed with him then. And he was in the okay. second handbook, not the first one, I think. Okay. He is 29, That's though, Bernardo Silva. So I was uh, in the right mm. in the right area. All right. Round two, Thomas. Unfortunately, round two would have uh, would have locked you out of that guess because the first clue is he is a defender. Mm. Asterisk. Asterisk. Okay. That's an important oh. part of that clue. And... Second, he has 69 international caps. Nice. Okay. Hmm. I'm going to leave this pause in because it's, I, you can hear the You need the, like the TikTok music in the Whoa. background. Like, um, yeah, I'm going to get a timer. I'm going to get all that stuff, mate. I just, we're going in raw. Uh, I mean, he's had a week. pretty stellar career based on what you've told so us. So, two PFA player of the years. Well, two PFA team of the years. Yes. Or player of the years. Team of the year. Yeah. And if. And for men's World 11 once. Last year. Okay, I'll give you that. Last year he was in the. Last year. Uh, World 11. And he's a defender. Asterisk. <laughs> Is it Joao Cancelo? It is not Joel Cancelo. Uh-uh. No. Carl Walker's too old, isn't he? Yeah, Carl yes. Walker's 33. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my goodness. Uh, that can't be Nathan Ake. He wouldn't have been in the FIFA team of the year. Um. I could be. I think that counts as two guesses, well, Stephen. I so. said it can't be, so I'm <laughs> saying it's not. I'm just ruling out. Um, two PFA. Oh, my word. You're going to have to buzz me out at some point because I'm I mean, I'm I, I've only got one more guess. I have, I have no idea, but I, I think I've got somebody in mind. Okay, we'll move to round three. Yeah. Clue one. John McKenzie. Can I buzz in? Yeah. Is it John Stones? Uh, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. We've got a winner. Play the Phil wins. Uh, I, I went through Bernardo Silva and Joao Cancelo. So the city, the city yeah, feeling. You were, um, was, but, you were churning wow. through the city. So he must have been, there, what, 20, <laughs> 23 or 22, turning 23 at the time? Um. I think we wrote the book at the end of 2015. It would have been 21, I reckon. Early 2016 release. 
Yeah, so all I know is that we we wrote Pogba in the first one, and Pogba's what like thirty one now. So yeah, it is scary if you go back and look at it. All right, are you, are you doing a all best right, boys, of three? Thank you for indulging me. Oh, you don't have a best of three. <laughs> no, We're gonna have to split the to difference. Oh. <laughs> Disappointed. Hey, I'm I'm shattered. I'm genuinely thrilled at how much you got into that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I felt there was some trepidation at the start and then you got addicted. So happy days. We will count up scores and we will, I will give out an end of season prize. I'm going to have um, to keep turning up every week then. It will be a stupid prize. <laughs> yeah, please do. Please do. You can't, you can't right, be boys, a bit of competition. Definitely not. It brings out the best on all of us, particularly Stephen, who... I just can't go over that frame of you looking like an absolute <laughs> hermit. Sink, mate. <laughs> right. Boys, we're at, we're, at a, we're at a cool hour. All right. There's much, uh, much better time management than we did last week. Um, thank you, everyone, very much for listening. Uh, please go and subscribe to Scouted Notebook. Um, anything to plug, boys? Phil? Uh, not really. Just go and read the Adam Walton. Oh, go and read the Adam Walton thing. Um, and yeah. yeah, I'm working on a nice article for the for my next Scouted Fifty piece. Um, so people should be looking out for that in the next couple of weeks as well. And Steve, it's kind of the week of Stephen this week at Scouted. Uh, we've got a number of uh, Steve brains brainchilds going up. Um, so to get it all into your inbox as soon as it goes live scoutednotebook.com all right Stephen, say goodbye thank you for listening everyone uh go sign up read our stuff thank you so much we love you all philip say goodbye yeah been been good to jump on actually and it's always, uh, always nice to chat with you guys so yeah thanks for listening and yeah, thank you mate hopefully see you guys next week all right signing off goodbye everyone <laughs>